CD8. St. Ungulant, on his bony knees, smashed open the hard, swollen leaf of a stone plant. Nice lad, he thought. Talked to himself a lot, but that was only to be expected. The desert took some people like that, didn't it, Angus? Yes, said Angus. Angus didn't want any of the brackish water. He said it gave him wind. Please yourself, said St. Ungulant. Well, well, here's a little treat. You didn't often get Kilopoda aridius out here in the open desert. And here were three, all under one rock. Funny how you felt like a little nibble, even after a good meal of petit porc roti avec pommes de terre nouvelle, et légumes du jour, et bière glacée avec figments de l'imagination. He was picking the legs of the second one out of his tooth, when the lion padded to the top of the nearest dune behind him. The lion was feeling odd sensations of gratitude. It felt it should catch up with the nice food that attended to it, and, well, refrain from eating it in some symbolic way. And now here was some more food, hardly paying it any attention. Well, it didn't owe this one anything. It padded forward, then lumbered up into a run. Oblivious to his fate, St. Ungulant started on the third centipede. The lion leapt. And things would have looked very bad for St. Ungulant if Angus hadn't caught it right behind the ear with a rock. Brother was standing in the desert, except that the sand was as black as the sky and there was no sun, although everything was brilliantly lit. Ah, he thought, so this is dreaming. There were thousands of people walking across the desert. They paid him no attention. They walked as if completely unaware that they were in the middle of a crowd. He tried to wave at them, but he was nailed to the spot. He tried to speak, and the words evaporated in his mouth. And then he woke up. The first thing he saw was the light slanting through a window. Against the light was a pair of hands raised in the sign of the holy horns. With some difficulty, his head screaming pain at him, Brother followed the hands along a pair of arms to where they joined not far under the bowed head of... Brother Numrod? The Master of Novices looked up. Brother? Yes. Om be praised. Brother craned his neck to look around. Is he here? Here. Mm. How do you feel? I... His head ached, his back felt as though it was on fire, and there was a dull pain in his knees. You were very badly sunburned, said Numrod, and that was a nasty knock on the head you had in the fall. What fall? Fall. Mm. From the rocks in the desert. You were with the prophet, said Numrod. You walked with the prophet, one of my novices. I remember the desert, said Brother, touching his head gingerly. But the prophet? Prophet. Mm. People are saying you could be made a bishop or even an E.M., said Numrod. There's a precedent, you know. The most holy Saint Bobby was made a bishop because he was in the desert with the prophet Ossery. And he was a donkey. But I don't remember any prophet. There was just me and... Brother stopped. Numrod was beaming. Vorbis? He most graciously told me all about it, said Numrod. I was privileged to be in the place of lamentation when he arrived. 
It was just after the Sestine prayers. The Cenobite was just departing, well, you know the ceremony, and there was Vorbis, covered in dust and leading a donkey. I'm afraid you were across the back of the donkey. I don't remember a donkey, said Brother. Donkey? Mm. He picked it up at one of the farms. There was quite a crowd with him. Numrod was flushed with excitement. And he's declared a month of Jadra. The double penances and the council has given him the staff and the halter, and the Cenobiarch has gone off to the hermitage in Scant. Vorbis is the eighth prophet, said Brother. Prophet? Yeah, of course, of course. And was there a tortoise? Has he mentioned anything about a tortoise? Tortoise. Mm. What have tortoises got to do with anything? Numrod's expression softened. But of course, the prophet said the sun had affected you. He said you were raving, excuse me, about all sorts of strange things. He did. He sat by your bed for three days. It was inspiring. How long since we came back? Back. Mm, almost a week. A week? He said the journey exhausted you very much. Brother stared at the wall, and he left orders that you were to be brought to him as soon as you were fully conscious said Numrod. He was very definite about that. His tone of voice suggested that he wasn't quite sure of Brother's state of consciousness even now. Do you think you can walk? I can get some novices to carry you, if you'd prefer. I have to go and see him now. Now? Right away. I'll expect you'll want to thank him. Brother had known about these parts of the Citadel only by hearsay. Brother Numrod had never seen them either. Although he had not been specifically included in the summons, he had come nevertheless, fussing importantly around Brother as two sturdy novices carried him in a kind of sedan chair normally used by the more crumbling of the senior clerics. In the centre of the citadel, behind the temple, was a walled garden. Brother looked at it with an expert eye. There wasn't an inch of natural soil on the bare rock. Every spadeful that these shady trees grew in must have been carried up by hand. Vorbis was there, surrounded by bishops and EMs. He looked round as Brother approached. "'Ah, my desert companion,' he said amiably. "'And Brother Numrod, I believe. "'My brothers, I should like you to know "'that I have it in mind to raise our brother to archbishophood.' "'There was a very faint murmur of astonishment from the clerics, "'and then a clearing of a throat. "'Vorbis looked at Bishop Treem, who was the Citadel's archivist. "'Well, technically, he is not yet even ordained.' said Bishop Treem doubtfully. But of course we all know there has been a precedent. Osiris ass, said Brother Numrod promptly. He put his hand over his mouth and went red with shame and embarrassment. Vorbis smiled. Good Brother Numrod is correct, he said. Who had not also been ordained unless the qualifications were somewhat relaxed in those days? There was a chorus of nervous laughs, such as there always is from people who owe their jobs and possibly their lives to a whim of the person who has just cracked the not-very-amusing line. 
"'Although the donkey was only made a bishop,' said Bishop Deathwish Treem. "'A role for which it was highly qualified,' said Vorbis sharply. "'And now you will all leave, including Subdeacon Numrod,' he added. Numrod went from red to white at this sudden preferment. "'But Archbishop Brother will remain. We wish to talk.' The clergy withdrew. Vorbis sat down on a stone chair under an elder tree. It was huge and ancient, quite unlike its short-lived relatives outside the garden, and its berries were ripening. The prophet sat with his elbows on the stone arms of the chair, his hands interlocked in front of him, and gave Brother a long, slow stare. "'You are recovered?' he said eventually. "'Yes, Lord,' said Brother. "'But, Lord, I cannot be a bishop.' "'I cannot even—' "'I assure you the job does not require much intelligence,' said Vorbis. "'If it did, bishops would not be able to do it.' There was another long silence. When Vorbis next spoke, it was as if every word was being winched up from a great depth. "'We spoke once, did we not, of the nature of reality?' "'Yes.' And about how often what is perceived is not that which is fundamentally true? Yes. Another pause. High overhead, an eagle circled, looking for tortoises. I am sure you have confused memories of our wanderings in the wilderness. No. It is only to be expected. The sun, the thirst, the hunger... "'No, Lord, my memory does not confuse readily.' "'Oh, yes, I recall. So do I, Lord.' Vorbis turned his head slightly, looking sidelong at Brother, as if he was trying to hide behind his own face. "'In the desert, the great god Om spoke to me.' "'Yes, Lord, he did, every day.' "'You have a mighty, if simple, faith, Brother. "'When it comes to people, I am a great judge.' "'Yes, Lord.' "'Lord?' "'Yes, my brother.' "'Numrod said you led me through the desert, Lord. "'Remember what I said about fundamental truth, brother? "'Of course you do. "'There was a, a physical desert indeed, "'but also a desert of the soul. "'My God led me, and I led you.' "'Ah, yes.' I see. Overhead, the spiralling dot that was the eagle appeared to hang motionless in the air for a moment. Then it folded its wings and fell. Much was given to me in the desert, brother. Much was learned. Now I must tell the world that is the duty of a prophet, to go where others have not been and bring back the truth of it. Faster than the wind, its whole brain and body existing only as a mist around the sheer intensity of its purpose. I did not expect it to be this soon, but Om guided my steps, and now that we have the Cenobiachi, we shall make use of it. Somewhere out on the hillside, the eagle swooped, picked something up, and strove for height. I am just a novice, Lord Vorbis. I am not a bishop, even if everyone calls me one. You'll get used to it. It sometimes took a long time for an idea to form in Brother's mind, but one was forming now. 
It was something about the way Vorbis was sitting, something about the edge in his voice. Vorbis was afraid of him. Why me? Because of the desert? Who would care? For all I know, it was always like this. Probably it was Ossery's ass that carried him in the wilderness, who found the water, who kicked a lion to death. Because of Ephebe? Who would listen? Who would care? He is the prophet and the Cenobiarch. He could have me killed just like that. Anything he does is right. Anything he says is true. Fundamentally true. I have something to show you that may amuse you, said Vorbis, standing up. Can you walk? Oh, yes. Numrod was just being kind. It's mainly sunburn. As they moved away, Brother saw something he hadn't noticed before. There were members of the Holy Guard armed with bows in the garden. They were in the shade of trees or amongst bushes, not too obvious, but not exactly hidden. Steps led from the garden to the maze of underground tunnels and rooms that underlay the temple, and indeed the whole of the citadel. Noiselessly, a couple of guards fell in behind them at a respectful distance. Brother followed Vorbis through the tunnels to the artificer's quarter, where forges and workshops clustered around one wide, deep light well. Smoke and fumes billowed up around the hewn rock walls. Vorbis walked directly to a large alcove that glowed red with the light of forge fires. Several workers were clustered around something wide and curved. There, said Vorbis. What do you think? It was a turtle. The iron founders had done a pretty good job, even down to the patterning on the shell and the scales on the legs. It was about eight feet long. Brother heard a rushing noise in his ears as Vorbis spoke. They speak poisonous gibberish about turtles, do they not? They think they live on the back of a great turtle, well... <laughs> let them die on one! Now Brother could see the shackles attached to each iron leg. A man or a woman could with great discomfort lie spread-eagled on the back of the turtle and be chained firmly at the wrists and ankles. He bent down. Yes... There was the firebox underneath. Some aspects of quisition thinking never changed. That much iron would take ages to heat up to the point of pain. Much time, therefore, to reflect on things. "'What do you think?' said Vorbis. A vision of the future flashed across Brother's mind. "'Ah, uh, ingenious,' he said. "'And it will be a salutary lesson for all others tempted to stray from the path of true knowledge.' said Vorbis. "'When do you intend to, um, demonstrate it?' "'I am sure such an occasion will present itself,' said Vorbis. When Brother straightened up, Vorbis was staring at him so intently that it was as if he was reading Brother's thoughts off the back of his head. "'And now please leave,' said Vorbis. Uh, "'Rest as much as you can, my son.' Brother walked slowly across the place, deep in unaccustomed thought. Afternoon, your reverence. You know already. Cut me own hand off to Blar, beamed over the top of his lukewarm, ice-cold sherbet stand. Heard it on the grapevine, he said. Here, have a slab of Clatchian delight, free, on a stick. The place was more crowded than usual. Even de Blar's hotcakes were selling like hotcakes. Busy today, said Brother, hardly thinking about it. 
Time of the prophet, see, said the Blah, when the great God is manifest in the world. And if you think it's busy now, you won't be able to swing a goat in here in a few days' time. What happens then? You're right. You look a bit peaky. What happens then? The laws. You know. The book of Vorbis. I suppose... The Blah leaned towards brother... You wouldn't have a hint, would you? I suppose the great god didn't have to say anything of benefit to the convenience of food industry. I don't know. I think he'd like people to grow more lettuce. Really? It's only a guess. Dublar grinned evilly. Ah, yes, but it's your guess. A nod's as good as a poke with a sharp stick to a deaf camel, as they say. <laughs> I know where I can get my hands on a few acres of well-irrigated land, funnily enough. Perhaps I ought to buy now, ahead of the crowd. Can't see any harm in it, Mr. Dublar. Dublar sidled closer. This was not hard. Dublar sidled everywhere. Crabs thought he walked sideways. Funny thing, he said. I mean, Vorbis. Funny? said brother. Makes you think. Even Ossery must have been a man who walked around just like you and me. Got wax in his ears just like ordinary people. Funny thing. What is? The whole thing. Dublar gave brother another conspiratorial grin and then sold a footsore pilgrim a bowl of hummus that he would come to regret. Brother wandered down to his dormitory. It was empty at this time of day, hanging around dormitories being discouraged in case the presence of the rock-hard mattresses engendered thoughts of sin. His few possessions were gone from the shelf by his bunk. Probably he had a room of his own somewhere, although no one had told him. Brother felt totally lost. He lay down on the bunk just in case, and offered up a prayer to Om. There was no reply. There had been no reply for almost all of his life, and that hadn't been too bad because he'd never expected one and before there'd always been the comfort that perhaps Arm was listening and simply not deigning to say anything. Now there was nothing to hear. He might as well be talking to himself and listening to himself, like Vorbis. That thought wouldn't go away. Mind like a steel ball, Om had said. Nothing got in or out. So all Vorbis could hear were the distant echoes of his own soul and out of the distant echoes he would forge a book of Vorbis, and Brother suspected he knew what the commandments would be. There would be talk of holy wars and blood and crusades and blood and piety and blood. Brother got up feeling like a fool, but the thoughts wouldn't go away. He was a bishop, but he didn't know what bishops did. He'd only seen them in the distance drifting along like earthbound clouds. There was only one thing he felt he knew how to do. Some spotty boy was hoeing the vegetable garden. He looked at Brother in amazement when he took the hoe, and was stupid enough to try to hang on to it for a moment. "'I am a bishop, you know,' said Brother. "'Anyway, you aren't doing it right. Go and do something else.' Brother jabbed viciously at the weeds around the seedlings. Only away a few weeks, and already there was a haze of green on the soil. "'You're a bishop, for being good. And here's the iron turtle, in case you're bad, because—' There were two people in the desert, and Om spoke to one of them. It had never occurred to Brother like that before. Om had spoken to him. Admittedly, he hadn't said the things that great prophets said he said. Perhaps he'd never said things like that. He worked his way along to the end of the row, then he tidied up the bean vines. Lutze watched Brother carefully from his little shed by the soil heaps. It was another barn. 
Ern was seeing a lot of barns. They'd started with a cart and invested a lot of time in reducing its weight as much as possible. Gearing had been a problem. He'd been doing a lot of thinking about gears. The ball wanted to spin much faster than the wheels wanted to turn. That was probably a metaphor for something or other. And I can't get it to go backwards, he said. Don't worry, said Simony. It won't have to go backwards. What about armour? Ern waved a distracted hand around his workshop. This is a village forge, he said. This thing is twenty feet long. Zacharos can't make plates bigger than a few feet across. I've tried nailing them on a framework, but it just collapses under the weight. Simony looked at the skeleton of the steam car and the pile of plates stacked beside it. Ever been in a battle, Ern? he said. No, I've got flat feet and I'm not very strong. Do you know what a tortoise is? Ern scratched his head. OK, the answer isn't a little reptile in a shell, is it? Because you know I know that. I mean a shield tortoise. When you're attacking a fortress or a wall and the enemy is dropping everything he's got on you, every man holds his shield overhead so that it kind of slots into all the shields around him. Can take a lot of weight. Overlapping, murmured Ern. Like scales, said Simony. Ern looked reflectively at the cart. A tortoise, he said. And the battering ram, said Simony. Oh, that's no problem, said Ern, not paying much attention. Tree trunk bolted to the frame, big iron rammer. They're only bronze doors, you say? Yes, but very big. Then they're probably hollow, or cast iron bronze plates on wood. That's what I'd do. Not solid bronze? Everyone says they're solid bronze. That's what I'd say, too. Excuse me, sirs. A burly man stepped forward. He wore the uniform of the palace guards. This is Sergeant Fergman, said Simony. Yes, Sergeant. The doors is reinforced with Clatchian steel because of all the fighting in the time of the false prophet Zog, and they opens outwards only, like lock gates on a canal. Do you understand? If you're pushing them, they only locks more firmly together. How are they opened, then? said Ern. The Senate Barch raises his hand, and the breath of God blows them open, said the sergeant. In a logical sense, I meant. Oh, well, one of the deacons goes behind a curtain and pulls a lever, but when I was on guard down in the crypts sometimes, there was a room, there was gratings and things. Well, you could hear water gushing. Hydraulics, said Ern. Thought it would be hydraulics. Can you get in, said Simony. To the room? Why not? No one bothers with it. Could he make the doors open? said Simony. Hm? said Ern. Ern was rubbing his chin reflectively with a hammer. He seemed to be lost in a world of his own. I said, could Fergman make these hydraulics work? Hm? Oh, shouldn't think so, said Ern vaguely. Could you? What? Could you make them work? Oh, probably. It's just pipes and pressures, after all. Hmm. Ern was still staring thoughtfully at the steam cart. Simony nodded meaningfully at the sergeant, indicating that he should go away, and then tried the mental interplanetary journey necessary to get to whatever world Ern was in. He tried looking at the cart, too. How soon can you have it all finished? Hmm? I said... Late tomorrow night, if we work through tonight. But we'll need it for the next dawn. We won't have time to see if it works. It'll work first time, 
said Ern. Really? I built it. I know about it. You know about swords and spears and things. I know about things that go round and round. It will work first time. Good. Well, there are other things I've got to do. Right. Ern was left alone in the barn. He looked reflectively at his hammer and then at the iron cart. They didn't know how to cast bronze properly here. Their iron was pathetic, just pathetic. Their copper, it was terrible. They seemed to be able to make steel that shattered at a blow. Over the years, the Quisition had weeded out all the good smiths. He'd done the best he could, but... Just don't ask me about the second or third time, he said quietly to himself. Vorbis sat in the stone chair in his garden, papers strewn around him. Well? The kneeling figure did not look up. Two guards stood over it with drawn swords. The, 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 the turtle people, the, the, the people are, are, are plotting something, it said, the voice shrill with terror. Of course they are, of course they are, said Vorbis. And what is this plot? There, there, there is some kind of... Um, when you are confirmed as Senubayach, some, some kind of device, some machine that, that goes by itself, it, it will smash down the doors of the temple. The voice faded away. And where is this device now? said Vorbis. I don't know. Uh, they've bought iron from me. That's all I know. An iron device? Yes. The man took a deep breath, half breath, half gulp. People say, the guards say, you have my father in prison, and you might... I plead... Vorbis looked down at the man. But you fear, he said, that I might have you thrown into the cells as well. You think I am that sort of person. You fear that I may think this man has associated with heretics and blasphemers in familiar circumstances. The man continued to stare fixedly at the ground. Vorbis's fingers curled gently around his chin and raised his head until they were eye to eye. "'What you have done is a good thing,' he said. He looked at one of the guards. "'Is this man's father still alive?' "'Yes, Lord.' "'Still capable of walking?' the Inquisitor shrugged. "'Yes, Lord.' "'Then release him this instant, put him in the charge of his dutiful son here, and send them both back home.' The armies of hope and fear fought in the informant's eyes. "'Thank you, Lord,' he said. "'Go in peace.' Vorbis watched one of the guards escort the man from the garden. Then he waved a hand vaguely at one of the head inquisitors. "'Do we know where he lives?' "'Yes, Lord.' "'Good.' The Inquisitor hesitated. And this device, Lord? Om has spoken to me. A machine that goes by itself? Such a thing is against all reason. Where are its muscles? Where is its mind? Yes, Lord. The Inquisitor, whose name was Deacon Cusp, had got where he was today, which was a place he wasn't sure right now that he wanted to be, because he liked hurting people. It was a simple desire, and one that was satisfied in abundance within the Quisition, and he was one of those who were terrified in a very particular way by Vorbis. Hurting people because you enjoyed it, that was understandable. Vorbis just hurt people because he decided that they should be hurt, without passion, even with a kind of hard love. In Cusp's experience, people didn't make things up, ultimately. 
not in front of an exquisitor. Of course, there were no such things as devices that moved by themselves, but he made a mental note to increase the guard. However, said Vorbis, there will be a disturbance during the ceremony tomorrow. Lord, I have special knowledge, said Vorbis. Of course, Lord. You know the breaking strain of sinews and muscles, Deacon Cusp? Cusp had formed an opinion that Vorbis was somewhere on the other side of madness. Ordinary madness he could deal with. In his experience, there were quite a lot of mad people in the world, and many of them became even more insane in the tunnels of the Quisition. But Vorbist had passed right through that red barrier and had built some kind of logical structure on the other side. Rational thoughts made out of insane components. Yes, Lord, he said. I know the breaking strain of people. It was night, and cold for the time of year. Lutze crept through the gloom of the barn, sweeping industriously. Sometimes he took a rag from the recesses of his robe and polished things. He polished the outside of the moving turtle, which loomed low and menacing in the shadows, and he swept his way towards the forge where he watched for a while. It takes extreme concentration to pour good steel. No wonder gods have always clustered around isolated smithies. There are so many things that can go wrong. A slight mismix of ingredients, a moment's lapse. Ern, who was almost asleep on his feet, grunted as he was nudged awake, and something was put in his hands. It was a cup of tea. He looked into the little round face of Lutze. Oh, he said, thank you, thank you very much. Nod, smile. "'Nearly done,' said Ern, more or less to himself. "'Just got to let it cool now. "'Got to let it cool really slowly, otherwise it crystallises, you see.' "'Nod. Smile. Nod. "'It was good tea.' "'It's not important cast, anyway,' said Ern, swaying. "'Just the control levers.' "'Lutze caught him carefully and steered him to a seat on a heap of charcoal. "'Then he went and watched the forge for a while. "'The bar of steel was glowing in the mould.' He poured a bucket of cold water over it, watched the great cloud of steam spread and disperse, and then put his broom over his shoulder and ran away hurriedly. People to whom Lutze was a vaguely glimpsed figure behind a very slow broom would have been surprised at his turn of speed, especially in a man six thousand years old who ate nothing but brown rice and drank only green tea with a knob of rancid butter in it. A little way from the citadel's main gates he stopped running and started sweeping. He swept up to the gates, swept around the gates themselves, nodded and smiled at a soldier who glared at him and then realised that it was only the daft old sweeper, polished one of the handles on the gates and swept his way by passages and cloisters to Brother's Vegetable Garden. He could see a figure crouched among the melons. Lutze found a rug and padded back out into the garden where Brother was sitting hunched up with his hoe over his knees. Lutze had seen many agonised faces in his time which was a longer time than most whole civilizations managed to see. Brothers was the worst. He tugged the rug over the bishop's shoulders. "'I can't hear him,' said Brother hoarsely. "'It may mean that he's too far away. I keep on thinking that. He may be out there somewhere, miles away.' Lutze smiled and nodded. "'It'll happen all over again. He never told anyone to do anything, or not to do anything. He didn't care.' Lutze nodded and smiled again. His teeth were yellow. They were, in fact, his two-hundredth set. He should have cared. 
Lutze disappeared into his corner again and returned with a shallow bowl full of some kind of tea. He nodded and smiled and proffered it until Brother took it and had a sip. It tasted like hot water with a lavender bag in it. "'You don't understand anything I'm talking about, do you?' said Brother. "'Not much,' said Lutze. "'You can talk?' Lutze put a wizened finger to his lips. "'Big secret,' he said. Brother looked at the little man. How much did he know about him? How much did anyone know about him? "'You talk to God,' said Lutze. "'How do you know that?' "'Signs. Man who talk to God have difficult life.' "'You're right.' Brother stared at Lutze over the cup. "'Why are you here?' he said. "'You're not Omnian or a Fabian.' "'Grew up near Hub.' Long time ago. Now Lutze a stranger everywhere he goes. Best way. Learned religion in temple at home. Now go where job is. Carting soil and pruning plants? Sure. Never been bishop or high panjandrum. Dangerous life. Always be man who cleans pews or sweeps up behind altar. No one bother useful man. No one bother small man. No one remember name. That's what I was going to do, but it doesn't work for me. Then find other way. I learn in temple, taught by ancient master. When trouble, always remember wise words of ancient and venerable master. What were they? Ancient master say, That boy there, what you eating? Hope you brought enough for everybody. Ancient master say, You, bad boy. Why you no do homework? Ancient master say, What boy laughing? No tell what boy laughing. Whole dojo stay in after school. When remember these wise words, nothing seems so bad. What shall I do? I can't hear him. You do what you must. I learn anything. It you have to walk it all alone. Brother hugged his knees. But he told me nothing. Where's all his wisdom? All the other prophets came back with commandments. Where they get them? Ah, uh, I suppose they made them up. You get them from same place. You call this philosophy? Roared Didactylos, waving his stick. Urn cleaned pieces of the sand mould from the lever. Well, natural philosophy. "'he said. "'The stick wanged down on the moving turtle's flanks. "'I never taught you this sort of thing,' shouted the philosopher. "'Philosophy is supposed to make life better.' "'This will make it better for a lot of people,' said Ern calmly. "'It will help overthrow a tyrant.' "'And then?' said Didactylos. "'And then what?' "'And then you'll take it to bits, will you?' said the old man. "'Smash it up, take the wheels off, get rid of all those spikes and burn the plans, hmm?' "'When it served its purpose, yes?' "'Well,' Ern began, "'Ah-ha! Uh -huh. Uh -huh. what? "'What if we do keep it? "'It'll be a deterrent to other tyrants. "'You think tyrants won't build them too?' "'Well, I can build bigger ones,' Ern shouted. "'Didactylos sagged. "'Yes,' he said. "'No doubt you can. "'So that's all right, then. "'My word! "'And to think I was worrying. "'And now I think I'll go and have a rest somewhere.' He looked hunched up and suddenly old. 
"'Master,' said Ern. "'Don't master me,' said Didactylos, feeling his way along the barn walls to the door. "'I can see you know every bloody thing there is to know about human nature now. Ha!' The great god Om slid down the side of an irrigation ditch and landed on his back in the weeds at the bottom. He righted himself by gripping a root with his mouth and hauling himself over. The shape of Brother's thoughts flickered back and forth in his mind. He couldn't make out any actual words, but he didn't need to, any more than you needed to see the ripples to know which way the river flowed. Occasionally, when he could see the citadel as a gleaming dot in the twilight, he'd try shouting his own mind back as loudly as he could. "'Wait! Wait! You don't want to do that! We can go to Ark Moorpork, land of opportunity! With my brains and your... with you, uh, the world is our mollusk!' "'Why throw it all away?' And then he'd slide into another furrow. Once or twice he saw the eagle, forever circling. "'Why put your hand into a grinder? "'This place deserves Vorbis. "'Sheep deserve to be led.' It had been like this when his very first believer had been stoned to death. Of course, by then he had dozens of other believers. But it had been a wrench. It had been upsetting— you never forgot your first believer. They gave you shape. Tortoises are not well equipped for cross-country navigation. They need longer legs or shallower ditches. Om estimated that he was doing less than a fifth of a mile an hour in a direct line, and the citadel was at least twenty miles away. Occasionally he made good time between the trees in an olive grove, but that was more than pulled back by rocky ground and field walls. All the time, as his legs whirred, Brother's thoughts buzzed in his head like a distant bee. He tried shouting in his mind again. "'What have you got? He's got an army. You've got an army? How many divisions have you got?' But thoughts like that needed energy, and there was a limit to the amount of energy available in one tortoise. He found a bunch of fallen grapes and gobbled them until the juice covered his head, but it didn't make a lot of difference. And then there was nightfall. Nights here weren't as cold as the desert, but they weren't as warm as the day. He'd slow down at night as his blood cooled. He wouldn't be able to think as fast, or walk as fast. He was losing heat already. Heat meant speed. He pulled himself up onto an anthill. You're going to die! You're going to die! And slid down the other side. Preparations for the inauguration of the Cenobiarch Prophet began many hours before the dawn. Firstly, and not according to ancient tradition, there was a very careful search of the temple by Deacon Cusp and some of his colleagues. There was a prowling for tripwires and a poking of odd corners for hidden archers. Although it was against the thread, Deacon Cusp had his head screwed on. He also sent a few squads into the town to round up the usual suspects. The Quisition always found it advisable to leave a few suspects at large. Then you knew where to find them when you needed them. After that, a dozen lesser priests arrived to shrive the premises and drive out all Afrit's jinns and devils. Deacon Cusp watched them without comment. He'd never had any personal dealings with supernatural entities, but he knew what a well-placed arrow would do to an unexpecting stomach. Someone tapped him on the ribcage. He gasped at the sudden linkage of real life into the chain of thought and reached instinctively for his dagger. Oh, he said. Lutze nodded and smiled and indicated with his broom that Deacon Cusp was standing on a patch of floor that he, Lutze, wished to sweep. Hello, you ghastly little yellow fool said Deacon Cusp. Nod. Smile. Never say a bloody word, don't you? said Deacon Cusp. Smile. Smile. Idiot, 
Smile. Smile. Watch. Ern stood back. Now, he said, you're sure you've got it all? Easy, said Simony, who was sitting in the turtle's saddle. Tell me again, said Ern. We stalk up the firebox, said Simony. Then when the red needle points to XXV1, turn the brass tap. When the bronze whistle blows, pull the big lever and steer by pulling the ropes. Right, said Ern, but he still looks doubtful. It's a precision device, he said. And I am a professional soldier, said Simony. I'm not a superstitious peasant. Fine, fine. Well, if you're sure. They'd had time to put a few finishing touches to the moving turtle. There were serrated edges to the shell and spikes on the wheels, and, of course, the waste steam pipe. He was a little uncertain about the waste steam pipe. It's merely a device, said Simony. It does not present a problem. Give us an hour, then. You should just get to the temple by the time we get the doors open. Right. Understood. Off you go. Sergeant Fergman knows the way. Ern looked at the steam pipe and bit his lip. I don't know what effect it's going to have on the enemy, he thought, but it scares the hells out of me. Brother woke up, or at least ceased trying to sleep. Lutze had gone, probably sweeping somewhere. He wandered through the deserted corridors of the novice section. It would be hours before the new Cenobite arch was crowned. There were dozens of ceremonies to be undertaken first. Everyone who was anyone would be in the place and the surrounding piazzas, and so would the even greater number of people who were no one very much. The Sestinas were empty, the endless prayers left unsung. The Citadel might have been dead were it not for the huge, indefinable background roar of tens of thousands of people being silent. Sunlight filtered down through the light wells. Brother had never felt more alone. The wilderness had been a feast of fun compared to this. Last night, last night with Lutze, it had all seemed so clear. Last night he'd been in a mood to confront Vorbis there and then. Last night there seemed to be a chance. Anything was possible last night. That was the trouble with last nights. They were always followed by this morning's. He wandered out into the kitchen level and then into the outside world. There were one or two cooks around preparing the ceremonial meal of meat, bread and salt, but they paid him no attention at all. He sat down outside one of the slaughterhouses. There was, he knew, a back gate somewhere around. Probably no one would stop him today if he walked out. Today they would be looking for unwanted people walking in. He could just walk away. The wilderness had seemed quite pleasant, apart from the thirst and hunger. St. Ungulant, with his madness and his mushrooms, seemed to have life exactly right. It didn't matter if you fooled yourself, provided you didn't let yourself know it. And did it well. Life was so much simpler in the desert. But there were a dozen guards by the gate. They had an unsympathetic look. He went back to his seat, which was tucked away in a corner, and stared gloomily at the ground. If Om was alive, surely he could send a sign. A grating by Brother's sandal lifted itself up a few inches and slid aside. He stared at the hole. A hooded head appeared, stared back and disappeared again. There was a subterranean whispering. The head reappeared and was followed by a body. It pulled itself onto the cobbles. The hood was pushed back. The man grinned conspiratorially at Brother, put his finger to his lips, and then, without warning, launched himself at him with violent intent. Brother rolled across the cobbles and raised his hands frantically as he saw the gleam of metal. One filthy hand clamped itself against his mouth. A knife blade made a dramatic and very final silhouette against the light. No! 
Why not? We said the first thing we'll do, we'll kill all the priests. Not that one. Brother dared to swivel his eyes sideways. Although the second figure rising from the hole was also wearing a filthy robe, there was no mistaking the paintbrush hairstyle. He tried to say, Earn? Shut up, you, said the other man, pressing the knife to his throat. Brother, said Earn, you're alive? Brother moved his eyes from his captor to Earn in a way which he hoped would indicate that it was too soon to make any commitment on this point. He's all right, said Earn. All right, he's a priest. But he's on our side, aren't you, brother? Brother tried to nod and thought, I'm on everyone's side. It'd be nice if just for once someone was on mine. The hand was unclamped from his mouth, but the knife remained resting on his throat. Brother's normally careful thought processes ran like quicksilver. The, um, the turtle moves, he ventured. The knife was withdrawn with obvious reluctance. I don't trust him, said the man. We should shove him down the hole at least. Brother's one of us, said Ern. That's right, that's right, said Brother. Uh, which ones are you? Ern leaned closer. How's your memory? Unfortunately, it's fine. Good, good. Uh, it would be a good idea to stay out of trouble, do you hear, if anything happens. Remember the turtle? Well, of course you would. What things? Ern patted him on the shoulder, making Brother think for a moment of Vorbis. Vorbis, who never touched another person inside his head, was a great toucher with his hands. Best if you don't know what's happening, said Ern. But I don't know what's happening, said Brother. Good, that's the way. The burly man gestured with his knife towards the tunnels that led into the rock. Are we going or what? he demanded. Ern ran after him and then stopped briefly and turned. Be careful, he said. We need what's in your head. Brother watched them go. So do I, he murmured, and then he was alone again. But then he thought, hold on, I don't have to be. I'm a bishop. At least I can watch. Om's gone and soon the world will end, so at least I might as well watch it happen. Sandals flapping, Brother set off towards the place. Bishops move diagonally. That's why they often turn up where the kings don't expect them to be. You god-awful idiot! Don't go that way! The sun was well up now. In fact, it was probably setting, if Didactylos's theories about the speed of light were correct. But in matters of relativity, the point of view of the observer is very important, and from Om's point of view, the sun was a golden ball in a flaming orange sky. He pulled himself up another slope and stared blearily at the distant citadel. In his mind's eye, he could hear the mocking voices of small gods. They didn't like a god who had failed. They didn't like that at all. It let them all down. It reminded them of mortality. He'd be thrust out into the deep desert where no one would ever come, ever, until the end of the world. He shivered in his shell. Ern and Fergman walked nonchalantly through the tunnels of the citadel, using the kind of nonchalant walk which, had there been anyone to take an interest in it, would have drawn detailed and arrow-sharp attention to them within seconds. But the only people around were those with vital jobs to do. Besides, it was not a good idea to stare too hard at the guards in case they stared back. Simony had told Ern he'd agreed to this. He couldn't quite remember doing so. The sergeant knew a way into the citadel that was sensible, and Ern knew about hydraulics. Fine. Now he was walking through these dry tunnels with his tool belt clinking. There was a logical connection, but it had been made by somebody else. Fergman turned a corner and stopped by a large grill, which stretched from floor to ceiling. It was very rusty. It might once have been a door. There was a suggestion of hinges rusted into the stone. 
Ern peered through the bars. Beyond in the gloom there were pipes. "'Eureka!' he said. "'Going to have a bath, then?' said Fergman. "'Just keep watch.' Ern selected a short crowbar from his belt and inserted it between the grill and the stonework. "'Give me a foot of good steel and a wall to brace. My foot against!' The grill ground forward and then popped out with a leaden sound. "'And I can change the world!' He stepped inside the long, dark, damp room and gave a whistle of admiration. No one had done any maintenance for, well, for as long as it took iron hinges to become a mass of crumbling rust. But all this still worked. He looked up at lead and iron buckets bigger than he was, and a tangle of man-sized pipes. This was the breath of God. Probably the last man who knew how it worked had been tortured to death years before, or as soon as it was installed. Killing the Creator was a traditional method of patent protection. There were the levers, and there, hanging over pits in the rock floor, were the two sets of counterweights. Probably it had only take a few hundred gallons of water to swing the balance either way. Of course, the water'd have to be pumped up. Sergeant, Fergman peered round the door. He looked nervous, like an atheist in a thunderstorm. What? Ern pointed. There's a big shaft through the wall there, see? "'at the bottom of the gear chain. "'The what? The big knobbly wheels? "'Oh, yeah. Where does the shaft go to?' "'Don't know. There's a big treadmill of correction through there.' "'Ah, the breath of God was ultimately the sweat of men. "'Didactylos would have appreciated the joke, Ern thought. "'He was aware of a sound that had been there all the time, "'but was only now penetrating through his concentration. "'It was tinny and faint and full of echoes, but it was voices from the pipes. The sergeant, to judge by his expression, had heard them too. Ern put his ear to the metal. There was no possibility of making out words, but the general religious rhythm was familiar enough. "'It's just the service going on in the temple,' he said. "'It's probably resonating off the doors of the sounds being carried down the pipes.' Fergman did not look reassured. "'No gods are involved in any way,' Ern translated. He turned his attention to the pipes again. "'Simple principle,' said Ern, more to himself than to Fergman. "'Water pours into the reservoirs on the weights, disturbing the equilibrium. "'One lot of weights descends and the other rises up the shaft in the wall. "'The weight of the door is immaterial. "'As the bottom weights descend, these buckets here tip over, pouring the water out. "'Probably quite a smooth action. "'Perfect equilibrium at either end of the movement, too. "'Nicely thought out.' "'He caught Fergman's expression.' Water goes in and out and the doors swing open, he translated. So all we've got to do is wait for... What did he say the side would be? They'll blow a trumpet when they're through the main gate, said Fergman, pleased to be of service. Right. Ern eyed the weights and the reservoirs overhead. The bronze pipes dripped with corrosion. But perhaps we'd better just check that we know what we're doing, he said. It probably takes a minute or two before the doors start moving. He fumbled under his robe and produced something that looked, to Fergman's eye, very much like a torture instrument. This must have communicated itself to Ern, who said very slowly and kindly, "'This is an adjustable spanner.' "'Yes?' "'It's for twisting nuts off.' Fergman nodded miserably. "'Yes,' he said. "'And this is a bottle of penetrating oil.' "'Oh, good. Just give me a leg up, will you?' It'll take time to unhook the linkage to the valve, so we might as well make a start. 
Ern heaved himself into the ancient machinery, while above the ceremony droned on. Cut me own hand off to Blar was all for new prophets. He was even in favour of the end of the world if he could get the concession to sell religious statues, cut-price icons, rancid sweetmeats, fermenting dates and putrescent olives on a stick to any watching crowds. Subsequently, this was his testament. There never was a book of prophet brother, but an enterprising scribe, during what came to be called the renovation, did assemble some notes, and Dublar had this to say. One. I was standing right by the statue of Ossery, right, when I noticed brother just beside me. Everyone was keeping away from him because of him being a bishop, and they do things to you if you jostle bishops. Two, I said to him, Hello, your graciousness, and offered him a yoghurt, practically free. Three, he responded, No. Four, I said, It's very healthy, it's a live yoghurt. Five, he said, yes, he could see. Six, he was staring at the doors. This was about the time of the third gong, right? So we all knew we'd got hours to wait. He was looking a bit down, and it's not as if he even ate the yoghurt, which I admit was on the hum a bit. What with the heat? I mean, it was more alive than usual. I mean, I had to keep hitting it with a spoon to stop it getting out of the... All right. I was just explaining about the yoghurt. All right, I mean, you want to put a bit of colour in, don't you? People like a bit of colour. It was green. Seven. He just stood there staring, so I said, Got a problem, your reverence? Upon which he vouchsafed, I cannot hear him. I said, What is this he to whom what you refer? He said, if he was here, he would send me a sign. 8. There is no truth whatsoever in the rumour that I ran away at this juncture. It was just the pressure of the crowd. I have never been a friend of the Quisition. I might have sold them food, but I always charged them extra. 9. Anyway, right. Then he pushed through the line of guards what was holding the crowd back and stood right in front of the doors... And they weren't sure what to do about bishops. And I heard him say something like, I carried you in the desert. I believed all my life. Just give me this one thing. Ten. Something like that anyway. How about some yoghurt? Bargain offer. On a stick. Om lifted himself over a creeper-clad wall by grasping tendrils in his beak and hauling himself up by the neck muscles. Then he fell down the other side. The citadel was as far away as ever. Brother's mind was flaming like a beacon in Om's senses. There's a streak of madness in everyone who spends quality time with gods, and it was driving the boy now. It's too soon, Om yelled. You need followers. It can't be just you. You can't do it by yourself. You have to get disciples first. Simon turned to look down the length of the turtle. Thirty men were crouched under the shell, looking very apprehensive. A corporal saluted. The needle's there, Sergeant. The brass whistle whistled. Simon, he picked up the steering ropes. This was what war should be, he thought. No uncertainty. A few more turtles like this and no one would ever fight again. Stand by, he said. He pulled the big lever hard. The brittle metal snapped in his hand. 
Give anyone a lever long enough and they can change the world. It's unreliable levers that are the problem. In the depths of the temple's hidden plumbing, Urn grasped a bronze pipe firmly with his spanner and gave the nut a cautious turn. It resisted. He changed position and grunted as he used more pressure. With a sad little metal sound, the pipe twisted and broke. Water gushed out, hitting him in the face. He dropped the tool and tried to block the flow with his fingers, but it spurted around his hands and gurgled down the channel towards one of the weights. "'Stop it! Stop it!' he shouted. "'What?' said Fergman, several feet below him. "'Stop the water! How? The pipe's broken! I thought that's what you wanted to do! Not yet!' "'Stop shouting, mister! There's guards around!' Ern let the water gush for a moment as he struggled out of his robe, and then he rammed the sodden material into the pipe. It shot out again with some force and slapped wetly against the lead funnel, sliding down until it blocked the tube that led to the weights. The water piled up behind it and then spilled over onto the floor. Ern glanced at the weight. It hadn't begun to move. He relaxed slightly. Now, provided there was still enough water to make the weight drop... "'Both of you stand still.' He looked around, his mind going numb. There was a heavy-set man in a black robe standing in the stricken doorway. Behind him a guard held a sword in a meaningful manner. "'Who are you? Why are you here?' Ern hesitated for only a moment. He gestured with his spanner. "'Well, it's the uh, seating, in it?' he said. "'You've got shocking seepage around the seating. Amazing it holds together.' The man stepped into the room. He glared uncertainly at Urn for a moment, and then turned his attention to the gushing pipe, and then back to Urn. But you're not... he began. He spun around as Fergman hit the guard hard with a length of broken pipe. When he turned back, Urn's spanner caught him full in the stomach. Urn wasn't strong, but it was a long spanner, and the well-known principles of leverage did the rest. He doubled up and then sagged backwards against one of the weights. What happened next happened in frozen time. Deacon Cusp grabbed at the weight for support. It sank down, ponderously, his extra poundage adding to the weight of the water. He clawed higher. It sank further, dropping below the lip of the pit. He sought for balance again, but this time it was against fresh air, and he tumbled on top of the falling weight. Urn saw his face staring up at him as the weight fell into the gloom. With a lever he could change the world. It had certainly changed it for Deacon Cusp. It had made it stop existing. Fergman was standing over the guard, his pipe raised. "'I know this one,' he said. "'I'm going to give him a right. Never mind about that. But—' Above them, linkage clanked into action. There was a distant creaking of bronze against bronze. "'Let's get out of here,' said Urn. "'Only the gods know what's happening up there.' and blows rained on the unmoving, moving turtle's carapace. "'Damn! Damn! Damn!' shouted Simony, thumping it again. "'Move! I command you to move! Can you understand, plain Phoebian? Move!' The unmoving machine leaked steam and sat there. And Om pulled himself up the slope of a small hill. So it came to this, then. There was only one way to get to the Citadel now. It was a million to one chance, with any luck. And Brother stood in front of the huge doors, oblivious to the crowd and the muttering guards. 
The Quisition could arrest anyone, but the guards weren't certain what happened to you if you apprehended an archbishop, especially one so recently favoured by the prophet. Just a sign, Brother thought, in the loneliness of his head. The doors trembled and swung slowly outwards. Brother stepped forward. He wasn't fully conscious now, not in any coherent way as understood by normal people. Just one part of him was still capable of looking at the state of his own mind and thinking, perhaps the great prophets felt like this all the time. The thousands inside the temple were looking around in confusion. The choirs of lesser eams paused in their chant. Brother walked on up the aisle, the only one with a purpose in the suddenly bewildered throng. Vorbis was standing in the centre of the temple, under the vault of the dome. Guards hurried towards Brother, but Vorbis raised a hand in a gentle but very positive movement. Now Brother could take in the scene. There was the staff of Ossery, and Abyss's cloak, and the sandals of Sena, and, supporting the dome, the massive statues of the first four prophets. He'd never seen them. He'd heard about them every day of his childhood. And what did they mean now? They didn't mean anything. Nothing meant anything, if Vorbis was prophet. Nothing meant anything, if the Senobiarch was a man who'd heard nothing in the inner spaces of his own head but his own thoughts. He was aware that Vorbis's gesture had not only halted the guards, although they surrounded him like a hedge, it had also filled the temple with silence, into which Vorbis spoke. Ah, my brother! We had looked for you in vain, and now, even, you are here. Brother stopped a few feet away. The moment of whatever it had been that had propelled him through the doors had drained away. Now all there was was Vorbis, smiling. The part of him still capable of thought was thinking, There is nothing you can say. No one will listen. No one will care. It doesn't matter what you tell people about Ephebe and Brother Murdoch and the desert. It won't be fundamentally true. Fundamentally true. That's what the world is, with Vorbis in it. Vorbis said, There is something wrong. Something you wish to say. The black-on-black eyes filled the world like two pits. Brother's mind gave up and Brother's body took over. It brought his hand back and raised it, oblivious to the sudden rush forward of the guards. He saw Vorbis turn his cheek and smile. Brother stopped and lowered his hands. He said, No, I won't. Then, for the first and only time, he saw Vorbis really enraged. There had been times before when the deacon had been angry, but it had been something driven by the brain, switched on and off as the need arose. This was something else, something out of control, and it flashed across his face only for a moment. As the hands of the guards closed on him, Vorbis stepped forward and patted him on the shoulder. He looked Brother in the eye for a moment and then said softly, Thrash him within an inch of his life and burn him the rest of the way. And Eam began to speak, but stopped when he saw Vorbis's expression. Do it now. End of CD 8